Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms, conscious commentary on business and society. I'm Matt Renner and I'll be co-hosting today's program along with Ronaldo Brutico. Ronaldo is the president of the World Business, Business Academy and I'm the Academy's executive director. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. To find out more about our work and to connect with us, please visit our website at worldbusiness.org or email us at info at worldbusiness.org. On today's show, we'll speak with Professor Jerry B. Brown. Dr. Brown is a longtime World Business Academy fellow, an author, and founding professor at Florida International University. Dr. Brown is the director of the Academy's Safe Energy Project, the Academy's effort to rid the state of California of nuclear power and replace it with renewable, safe energy. Our project recently had a major victory when Southern California Edison was forced to shut down the San Onofre nuclear power plant. We'll hear a lot more about that in a few minutes, but first I want to introduce Ronaldo. Hi, Ronaldo. Well, thanks, Matt. Appreciate the run-up and um, the introduction. Um, lots. I mean, this show is going to be tough to do because there's so much going on. But let me try. First okay. of all, I want to just um, I want to just really uh, note with celebration that the Supreme Court did the right thing, obviously, with the striking down of DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, and I think they did the smart thing by ducking uh, Prop 8 in California, so that states now, I think there's 13 states, one at a time, can choose to um, uh, let um, gay and lesbian couples marry. The the big issue, of course, on that one's going to be um, whether it will cause further division between red states and blue states. And think about it. If you're a federal worker now and you live in a red state, you will be highly incentivized if you want to marry a gay or lesbian partner to move to a state that's blue. So it's, yeah. it, it's going to have some destabilizing impacts, to be sure. But what I really want to focus on and, and, and maybe we'll come back either in this show, Matt, or in a subsequent show. I really want to talk about the economic and sociological and educational implications of the dividing line of red and blue states. Because what I see is a new civil war being fought without bullets. Let me give you an example. The, the DOMA decision and the Prop 8 decision, to me, overshadowed a far more dramatic mis- decision that happened just the day before. When the court struck down the uh, key language of the 1968 Voter Right uh, Voter Act, what it did is it reversed all of the gains that we created to try and eliminate Jim Crow laws. So what it did by calling into question the provision in the, the act which makes it which makes it enforceable, what they've really said is they've given a green light to those red states who now want to engage in voter suppression. And we know they do because look at the voter suppression that occurred just in 2012 in places like Ohio and Florida. In fact, one estimate was made that Florida, Obama would not even have carried Florida if the voter suppression rules that had been passed had been allowed to stand. And to give you some idea, I think there have been 73 or 74 separate federal suits against individual states for violation of voter suppression rules. So, and that's just in the last 10 years. So you're talking about states that have not changed their ways, are chomping at the bit. And I'm, I'm concerned that what this is is part of a bigger strategy to keep America governed by white people. What, what, what's probably going on is in the face of what has to happen with immigration reform, in the face of the changing demographics of America, you're going to see a white minority continue to cling to power ever more fiercely 
just as it did in the days of the Old South in 1860. And what will happen is the same suppression of rights, and what you'll have then is the possibility for great economic upheaval, for certain, by the way, economic upheaval, and possibly great sociological upheaval as well. I'm very concerned about it. That decision to to basically strike down a key provision of the Voting, Voter rights Act, Voting Rights Act, that provision being struck down together with Citizens United, which the same court did earlier uh, in its term, meaning last year, those two together, meaning unlimited money in politics and white people can have a disproportionate amount of the votes, those two decisions together are going to be horrific, I think, in the years to come. And I'm very concerned. I also think they will continue. If there is the United States of America in 100 years from today, people will look back at that decision, Citizens United, in the same category as the Dred Scott decision. So that's really where I, I see to, that going. Hmm? I want to say one thing. Uh, to your point about states being chomping at the bit to change voting laws, uh, in, in the states that weren't governed by the Voting Rights Act and didn't have federal oversight, they've been adjusting laws to disenfranchise voters who are poor and minority voters for the most part uh, for a long time. And then as soon as the Supreme Court decision came out, it literally took Texas two hours to start pushing legislation that would uh, disenfranchise voters. You know, they, they were chomping at the bit. So this is going to happen very quickly, and we should all keep an eye on it. No question. It's going to happen not only in the states affected by the 68 Act. It's going to be in other red states, which at that time were not affected. Like, for example, I don't think Montana was affected then. But Montana, you can be sure, will be chomping at the bit also. Um, right. David, so I think I just think this is the biggest story, frankly, of the last um, – it's one of the biggest stories of the last 20, 30, maybe 50 years. Uh, yeah. The next one I want to talk about real briefly is Obama's leadership on climate change. I thought the speech was excellent. He did the one thing – uh, he did something that we always give him credit for. He is the professor-in-chief. He articulates well. He takes the high moral ground most of the time. I do have some exceptions I will make with it about his speech. But basically, he was the professor-in-chief doing what the professor does, educating. But what he did in his speech on the environment earlier this week was that he actually came up with plans that he, as the chief executive officer, apart from what Congress does, could execute on. In other words, he said, I'm not going to wait for Congress to act. I'm going to take my full executive authority, and I'm going to start pushing these things through, and laid out a very comprehensive program, all of which he's able to do without congressional approval. We've been arguing on this show for many uh, different uh, versions of the show, going back many months, that Obama needs to do that in every aspect of his presidency. Right now, most of the pundits and all the comedians would say that the first half of his second term has been a complete joke, and they'd be right. So what he just did is he laid down the gauntlet. He said, you know what, I've got to run the country. I'm the only president we've got. And I'm going to, in the environmental area at least, I'm going to exert my authority and run it. And if you guys don't want to play ball, fine. If you want to say I'm declaring war on coal, call it what you will. But we have to stop climate change. As you know, it's a major topic of the academy. And I want everybody to please go to our Safe Energy uh, website, but we'll talk more about that later. But the climate change issue, as gigantic as it is, I think um, is, is not the only place where the president should be exercising presidential leadership. He needs to be doing it virtually across the board and isn't. Now, it turns out that the decision to be the narrator-in-chief, the, the professor-in-chief, coincided with his willingness to be a chief executive in this one area. I disagree, for example, with his pro-nuclear stance. I think it's completely foolish. I don't think there's any such thing as clean coal. It's an oxymoron. I'm concerned with what, is, is, what he said about the XL pipeline because I interpreted him as saying 
that if it's if it doesn't add the CO2 pollution, then it'll go through. And if he analyzes that on the grounds of what's less CO2, moving the oil from Canada by pipeline or moving it in trains, pipeline will win out. But that shouldn't be the question. The question should be, do we ever want these tar sands to actually ever be tapped anymore? And by providing a a local U.S. market, are we not, in fact, creating greater greater, greater CO2 pollution, which I'm sure we are. Right, yeah. I want to drill down on that just for a second because I think the Keystone Pipeline, the Keystone XL Pipeline is something that's very important that everyone's aware of and has become um, a major rallying point for the anti-climate change movement. Uh, What we're talking about is a massive amount of tar sands, very thick, very heavy oil stuck in sand in Alberta, Canada. And the plan is to pipe those sands down all the way across the United States through, I think it's eight or ten states, all the way down to the Gulf Coast where it would be refined. Um, The problem is, without that capacity, uh, the tar sands probably aren't economically viable, or at least it's a a question. So by giving them access to our refining capacity, we're essentially allowing Canada to create a whole new source of oil that is an incredibly large... uh, uh, reserve that otherwise might not be burnable. Absolutely um, correct. And, yeah, and, and that's actually correct. And, and 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 what people need to know is there's enormous environmental um, uh, byproducts, negative byproducts, which are occurring because of the tar sands. In the nature of the way that the, in fact, there's a one billion dollar crash program was announced today in the in the in in, in the um, it was in the New York Times or the or the. Um, may have been the Financial Times, but they announced this $1 billion crash program in Canada to try and ameliorate some of the worst negative aspects of, of tar sands. For example, they're going to try and reduce the off-gassing of CO2 from their boiler operations. They're going to try to, uh, to see if they can't improve some of the technology they're using to make the extraction. But at the end of the day, what they're doing is taking sludge, which is tar sands. They're heating it with propane and or natural gas causing a release of, of CO2 in that process alone, that results in a viscous material, very thick oil, as you said, being then supplied to the refineries on the Gulf Coast so that they can be refined and, they're, and then after sent to China or wherever. So this oil is not even going to end up in the U.S., folks. This, this oil is destined for overseas export. On top of that, what the president didn't say is that a crack in that pipeline, as has occurred, by the way, with a similar pipeline in Texas just a few months ago, a crack in that pipeline will leave a deposit of thick goo, high sulfur content thick goo, which will jeopardize our aquifers throughout the entire Midwest, which is why several Republican governors are against it. So the, the tar sands... XL pipeline is not just an XL pipeline. That's bad enough in itself and should not be permitted. But that it does, as you say, Matt, it provides a ready economic opportunity to keep the tar sands bubble machine going. With, and by the way, huge amounts of water are being consumed, enormous pools of toxic waste are being consumed, and they've despoiled the beautiful, pristine Canadian environment. Now, the Canadian government likes it because it's lots of money. They like feeling like a Saudi prince. But at the end of the day, it's a crazy technology. It doesn't make sense. It will not be economically viable if the U.S. doesn't support it. And frankly, what it does to the environment is against what what the president spoke to yesterday. So I'm hoping he makes the right decision. I was not pleased with how he articulated it yesterday, the other day. A good news, though, by the way, I want to talk about is Gasland 2, the movie, has just been released, um, which basically, remember, Gasland was the movie where they showed guys literally turning their water on and lighting them on fire. 
which, yeah. by the way, is continuing to go on all across the country wherever they do fracking, which makes sense. If you think about it, if you go into the ground and you shatter the rock that's holding the gas, so there's nothing there to, to hold the, 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 the natural gas from migrating, of course it's going to migrate into the water supplies, and of course it's going to come up through your taps. So Gasland 2 features a guy putting his garden hose, putting it down his well, and lighting the garden hose on fire, and it blows like a blowtorch because there's so much gas coming out. Now, that man can't leave his home. He can't sell it to anybody. Nobody will buy it. And he's forced to drink that water with his family. Now, think about it. You've got thousands of people in Pennsylvania who are already petitioning their government to stop this. Fortunately, the state of New York has stopped it because many thousands of people there objected. I know it's being subjected to review in California. To me, fracking is crazy. It's like, Mr. President, you don't have to have fracking to get the solution you want. In fact, as you said in your speech, renewable energy is really affordable now and much more, much more certain and, frankly, creates more American jobs. What we need to do, make no moans about it, Matt, is we've got to convert this country to a hydrogen economy, just as Germany is now in the process of doing way ahead of us and as Iceland has already completed. It's hydrogen we want, which has no ill effects when it's created from renewable resources and which we can use as both a storage device and a fuel. We will, the Academy will be laying out a plan in some government hearings starting uh, this late this summer for how the state of California, which is the seventh largest economy in the world, can convert itself from this point forward totally off of fossil fuels, totally on renewables, do it at less cost than it's currently paying, and with more certainty into the future. That'll be our plan for the hydrogen highway. And it's one of the few things I actually have to agree with Arnie Schwarzenegger. He was right on. So while we're on the subject of energy, and our, our show today is, uh, is is centered around energy, rightfully so, uh, one thing that we've seen recently in the news is uh, is the, the effect of climate change, and, and we're getting a preview of how bad it's going to be. Uh, can you talk briefly about the flooding that we've seen recently in India and elsewhere? Yeah, well, first of all, as you know, uh, southern Alberta um, was completely underwater earlier this week. Hundreds and hundreds of communities, many, many thousands of residents completely flooded out in a place that's never had trouble dealing with water in, you know, in millennia. Uh, in India, there's over a 1,000 known dead already from the collapse of certain a a banks of the Ganges River from another massive flood there. Uh, I've heard, I was just, I was just on the phone uh, before the show went live, uh, from India, getting an update, and um, it looks like there may be as many as 20,000 people still stranded in the upper Himalaya region, and certainly 1,000 dead or more, and the death toll is climbing, again, directly as a result of climate change. Um, so, it's it, you know, we've never been in a situation where things are more crazy than they are now. You've got climate change, which is this enormous overhang on everything human society does, where we're literally looking at the end of human civilization as we know it in less than 100 years. In addition to that, we're, we're, we're literally looking at a destabilization in countries in the West like the U.S., where, where they're refighting the Civil War without bullets, as I said earlier, which is going to have an enormous effect on the economy. We're, we're, we have all these disequilibriums occurring. We have the sequester in the United States, which is having an enormous adverse impact. Just today, the federal government reissued its numbers for growth in the first quarter, and they brought us down. They said, in fact, we're not growing at 3.4%, which I never believed. We're growing at 1.8%, meaning we're barely growing at all. And that's the result of the sequester. And don't forget, we get another sequester shot next year unless the Congress behaves. So 
we've got all these things happening. I, Matt, it's never been more clear ever in the history of the United States or the world as a whole. Business people must start getting engaged. We business people, we people who are good at creating material results from etheric concepts, we have to take charge now because we've got to fix what we broke. So the idea of conscious business has never been more in demand and never more needed. And I really want to urge anyone listening to this, no matter what level of, of enterprise you are engaged in, are you an employee of someone's, are you a manager somewhere, are you an owner, are you anyone who can possibly make a difference? If you can, get a hold of the World Business Academy. Let's get going. We have got to link arms, and we've got to start turning these crises around. If you think it's hard to do business – in 1860 in Atlanta, it's even worse to do it in 2013 in Syria, and I can assure you it'll be worse to do it in 2016 in America if these paths continue the way they're going. You can't do business in a place where it's in the revolution. You can't do business in Syria, and you're increasingly going to have a hard time doing business in a country like the United States, which is increasingly divided into red and blue and fighting a civil war without bullets. So that's I think that's really the, the headlines for today including the effects of the sequester, which makes all this even more worse. One last bright spot. I'm delighted that the nation of um, the Netherlands, so the Dutch have woken up, as have the Germans recently, that the idea of sequester is stupid, doesn't work, and they're backing off. This show has always said sequester doesn't work. The, not sequester. The, um, uh, the idea of having a um, uh, austerity. We've, we've talked about austerity on this program over and over again. Uh, we couldn't agree more with Paul Krugman. It was a bad idea when it was proposed in Europe. It's been a disaster in every country in Europe where it's been tried. It's a disaster here. The sequester is a subset of the austerity thinking. It doesn't work. It'll collapse the economy of the U.S. just like it collapsed the economy of Europe. And it's right now dragging the entire global economy down. If people want jobs, if people want stability, if people want the resources to combat the, the effects of climate change so that we don't have to have a place that's flat that used to be called Joplin, Missouri, or a place that's flat that used to be called Moore, Colorado, uh, Moore um, Oklahoma, if we want to do that, we've got to get rid of this silly austerity thinking and get on a road where business leadership begins to be responsible for the whole and helps take society out of this. We're clearly at a stage where our political leadership is incapable of giving us that result. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point. And I want to say to our listeners, if you go to our website at worldbusiness.org, you can sign up for our email list at the top of the page, and we'll be sending out a video along with more information from today's show. Uh, the video is a presentation of the academies uh, that we made in front of an audience of business executives when we were making exactly this point, that now is the time for business to step to the, to the, into the leadership position that they already assume but to actually lead on a values-based conscious business uh, paradigm. Uh, Ronaldo lays out the case for uh, combating global climate change and exactly almost everything we've covered in this uh, initial segment in terms of climate change. So it's worth watching. If you go to our website at worldbusiness.org and sign up for our email list, we'll be sending that video out. Uh, Ronaldo, now I think I'd like to introduce our guest, Jerry Brown. Uh, Jerry Brown is a professor and a wonderful organizer and also an amazing colleague. I've enjoyed working with him very much. Um, he's also the, a founding professor at Florida International University where he teaches courses on anthropology, energy policy, social movements, and the impact of technology. 
Uh, Dr. Brown is also the co-author of two books with Ronaldo, uh, Profiles in Power, The Anti-Nuclear Movement and the Dawn of the Solar Age, as well as Freedom from Mideast Oil, which is a roadmap for America's sustainable energy future. Um, since January, Dr. Brown has been spearheading the Academy's Safe Energy Project, which is our effort to eliminate toxic nuclear power, first in California and next all the way around the entire globe. So, Jerry Brown, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing? Very well, Ronaldo. You know, it's it's a great uh, the people. Matt gave a little of our background. They might not know that you and I have been doing this for about twenty years now. That is so true. And uh, it's, there's nothing like old friends <laughs> combating old old challenges, huh? Yeah. Well, I, I felt that your comments on the red and blue were were perceptive. Uh, what's interesting is that on the energy issue, and when we're talking about energy independence, when we're talking about energy as a national security issue when we're talking about nuclear power as a kind of a gateway drug to unstable nations uh, such as Pakistan or unfriendly nations such as North Korea or Iran getting the ability to make nuclear weapons, that's been very much a bipartisan issue uh, where people on both sides of the aisle agree that these are all things that are good for America. So the energy issue has brought people together. There's a lot of question about how to implement things, but in terms of, of those goals and not sending billions of dollars to unfriendly nations, uh, there seems to be a lot more consensus developed there than on some of these other issues. Well, you know, I think that people will realize this once they tune into our um, uh, the Safe Energy Project uh, website, which I'm sure that uh, Matt will send out as part of the notes of the show. But uh, when people do that, they're going to find out that nuclear power which, remember, the promise of nuclear power we were given back in the late 50s, early 60s, was it would create energy too cheap to measure. And what we found out is the exact opposite. It's too expensive to measure. It's the most expensive form of energy in the world by far. Even more importantly, of course, it's subject to these catastrophic failures like Fukushima, which to this day, three years later, is still going off, still creating toxic levels of radioactive release because they can't stop it. Um, of course, Chernobyl comes to mind, Three Mile Island. But what they don't realize is that every single day, every reactor in America, and, and almost all the reactors overseas, as far as I know, every day give off, uh, create strontium-90, which is vented into the atmosphere. Now, I'm really grateful that you headed up the Safe Energy Project, and in this battle you've been doing since at least last December, uh, we, it looks like, I know, October, it looks like the, the San Onofre is now permanently closed. And I'm really proud of you guys for doing it, and I'm proud of the Academy for being the only business voice in that set of hearings? Well, this, this was the um, decision on June 7th of uh, this year by the CEO, Ted Craver, of um, Southern California Edison to permanently retire San Onofre was a major victory. And there are many, many factors, certainly the World Business Academy and your testimony, Ronaldo, before the California Public Utilities Commission to deny uh, uh, Edison, the right to charge consumers $1.3 billion for not giving them electricity. I think that was a fa definitely a factor. But all of the groups that intervened there, um, the uh, Division of Ratepayers Advocates, uh, the Utility Reform Group, Friends of the Earth, the Alliance for Nuclear Responsibility, all had a factor. I also think we cannot overlook Senator Barbara's, Barbara Boxer's um, constant scrutiny of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission saying do not let this plant be turned on because if it turns on and if it leaks radiation again, 
and affect some 8 million people living uh, in the area of that, that the San Luis, uh, uh, of the uh, San Onofre reactor in uh, Orange and San Diego County, that's going to be a huge problem. So I think all of these factors came together to the, to the point where the NRC said, there's so much risk here, you start this reactor, it's at risk of releasing radiation again, we're going to have to have a full-blown public hearing on this, and at that point, um, they decided to pull the plug on the reactor. Well, that's right, and they've, they've permanently mothballed it, which is good, and they're now sending a giant bill, which I think is turning, going to turn out to be phony. But what I also want to draw attention to is the Safe Energy Project, which you lead, Jerry, is the group now, we took the, the lead in January through to today, and we'll continue to take the lead on this question of how do we get the money back for the public. I personally believe there's $500, billion, $500 million minimum that's owed to us right now by Southern California Edison, and it could be larger. And I believe even more will be taken from the public improperly if we don't watchdog this going forward. Do you agree or do you feel safe that uh, we, can, we can all go home and crown No, no, absolutely not. I mean, this is one, one situation where eternal vigilance is required. They've made the mistake. They are now going to decommission the plant. I mean, that's what the decision is. And we're looking at right now $1.3 billion, all related to the breakdown of the nuclear plant due to this steam generator fiasco that Edison and its suppliers created. They've got a $2.1 billion investment, and the customers are never going to get the full return on that. So um, there's many uh, billions of dollars well, there, and it requires even closer scrutiny uh, to see that um, these funds are recouped for the ratepayers. And let me just interject, folks. You're hearing a lot of numbers. You can tell Jerry's extraordinarily astute and uh, has a, a, just a, a head full of facts. Uh, this is a complex subject, nuclear energy. You can understand it. Don't think you can't. You do not have to be a nuclear physicist to follow this. But what you have to do is dig in and really learn about it. You've got to be willing to learn about it. You know, there's this great saying from the ancient Greeks, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or touch not the Perean spring. My feeling is that we need to get people to start drinking deep, meaning we have to get people to start digging deep because the more they look into this, the way the Academy has since 1996, the more they will realize, oh, my God, it's killing people with radioactive releases. It's uh, highly expensive. It can't possibly ever pay for itself. And we're going to be left with toxic byproducts for 10,000 years, which are basically convenient terrorist targets. So when you look at all of that, you simplify it that way, it's the challenge is to the public. You must begin now. Get involved. Get educated, and for that you want to go to the Safe Energy Project. Uh, Matt, what's the uh, what's the exact URL for Safe Energy? How do they get there? You had it. It was a uh, safeenergyproject.org. Great, safeenergyproject.org. It's a project of the World Business Academy. It's a offshoot of 15 years of the of the Energy Task Force, and I, I really want you all to get educated. Now, what's up next? Uh, Jerry, give, tip your hand. Tell them where you're going next besides getting the money back that's been stolen. Where, where else well, are you going? Well, the, the, the other issue is now Diablo Canyon, the remaining operating reactor in the state of California. And I think your point is well taken. It's not only San Onofre and Diablo Canyon, but every reactor in the country produces radiation as part of the fission process. 
that radiation, and we're not talking about accidents, we're not talking about a Three Mile Island or a Fukushima or a Chernobyl, but what most people do not realize is that these reactors are permitted by the NRC to vent radioactivity on a regular basis. They would get too hot and they could not operate. And that radiation has actually been measured through something called the baby teeth study. The first baby teeth study in American history was done in the 1950s and 1960s. And on the basis of that, on the basis of watching strontium-90, which the body thinks is calcium, takes up in the bones and teeth, it can be measured in the teeth. On the President Kennedy, on the basis of seeing this incredible increase in strontium-90, accompanied by dramatic increases in childhood cancer and leukemia, said in 1963 to the Soviet Union and the Brits, let's ban above-ground testing. Strontium-90 dropped after that, but with the dramatic expansion of over 100 nuclear power plants in the 1970s throughout the country, now Strontium-90 levels are rising and are going up towards equal or above what they were at the height of bomb testing during the Cold War. In other words, nuclear power in the United States has undermined the entire health effect of the test ban treaty. The flip side of that, Ronaldo, is that, hey, what happens if you close a reactor? Well, we know. In California, the Rancho Seco reactor was shut down in 1989 through a voter, local voter referendum. And what has happened since then? Childhood cancer has dropped 25%. Thyroid cancer has dropped 30%. And this happens to mutations. And this is not only Rancho Seco, but in all 12 other reactors let, let, around the country. Yeah, let me so just underscore this. So what, what, you're, what, what, what you're saying to people, I just want to make sure it's underscored because I want people to realize this. In the rare times when we've been able to close a nuclear reactor, which is very difficult to do, what we've been able to do is track data which proves that not only were these cancers being caused by that nuclear reactor, but by measuring the cancer clusters in the zone where the nuclear reactor wind carries the isotopes, those cancer rates start to fall. In fact, you mentioned Rancho Seco. I think it's fascinating that that's a rural area of California, and they've fallen so much, cancer rates have fallen so much since the plant closed, that they're now back to getting rural areas that are at the same cancer level as other rural areas where for when Rancho Seca was open, their cancer levels were higher than even the worst intense urban areas. So what's happening is if you live in the country and there's no nuclear power plant, your cancer rates are dropping dramatically. If you live in the countryside but there's a nuclear reactor nearby, you're actually your cancer rates are continuing to skyrocket. Exactly. And, and this is just public health data and cancer registry data. It's not complex. I mean, people who, who know where that information is can find it. But these are public health records um, that can, can be tracked by anyone with the ability to go out and find them. So what it's saying is... What's, hey, Jerry, Jerry, give people the, what's the best source you know of the, the best for source this of kind that of data? Is the Radiation and Public Health Project. The Radiation and Public Health Project, which is www radiation.org. Alec Baldwin is their spokesperson. They did the baby T study and they track cancer rates and health data uh, around reactors when they open, when they close. Uh, people living within 100 miles of reactors, women are much more likely to die of breast cancer. So it's the www.radiation.org where you will find 
this information. Yeah, and, and just so people know that we're a nonprofit at the academy, as are they, I believe, and yes. uh, we we have no legal or financial interest with them, but we do work with them a lot because we've been so impressed with their data and the quality of their data over what a thirty-year period, twenty-year period, anyway. Ex- exactly. So, so that's the big issue for Diablo Canyon, and obviously the so other what issue. That? What's, what's the big issue? The, the radioactive well, I mean, obviously people dying for nuclear power is the big issue. And the flip side of that is we do not need nuclear power in California. According to oh, Cal ISO. But, Jerry, before you go back to that, I, I know where you're headed with that, but I want to just come back to this. What's wrong with having a reactor in your backyard? And by your backyard, folks, means – if you're within a 50-mile radius downwind, you're in deep yogurt. If you're within 100 miles downwind, you're still going to have elevated cancer rates. Uh, and I say that because I'm I'm doing this show from Santa Barbara, California, which is in, within that 100-mile ring. So so the people who are standing and sitting within blocks of where I'm talking from are literally incurring elevated cancer risk because of San, uh, San Diablo Canyon. <clears throat> However, before, beyond that, if I'm not mistaken, Diablo Canyon is a, the only nuclear reactor in America that was built twice. Because they built well, it wrong the first time, right? Yeah, well, they reversed the plans for it, and so they had Probably. to re- reconstruct it. The same problem went on when they increased the um, the earthquake resistance up to a 7.5. Diablo Canyon is the most vulnerable reactor in the United States for earthquake it is the only reactor that has three requirements for that it must meet. It has to meet a design basis earthquake test, a double design basis, and a Hosgree fault quake test. Now, the problem here is that um, Mr. Peck, who is the gentleman who was the senior NRC inspector at Diablo Canyon in 2007, looked at this data, looked at it in terms of the new information on the shoreline fault, because faults kept popping up after they licensed this reactor, and he recommended and wrote to the NRC in September of 2011, and he says, the plant is in violation of its license requirement because it's not designed to withstand these worst-case earthquakes. Now, what is its probability? No one knows, really, we can play with all of this data, but it's ultimately unscientific until it happens. I mean, Chernobyl was never supposed to happen. It was supposed to be one in, you know, uh, 10,000 operating years. But when it happens, it happens, just like Fukushima. I think some people might... This is an incredible risk for the state of California, for the agricultural areas, for the wine areas, for Vandenberg uh, Air Force Base, and Fukushima... That those fisheries are going to be poisoned for three decades at least due to strontium ninety and cesium. Now, Why wait, wait, should before, we, uh, Jerry? Before you go past that, I, I want to just touch on a couple things. Number one, uh, I'm hoping people remember who listen to the show that I had the good fortune of co-founding the Gorbachev Foundation USA and served on a board of five people with uh, Mikhail Gorbachev for four and a half years. In that period of time, I actually got a chance to ask what he thought was the greatest tragedy. Here's the man who single-handedly unraveled, unraveled the Cold War. And he said the biggest tragedy of his premiership was Chernobyl. And I asked him, I pressed him, what about Chernobyl? 
He said, I, I, the mistake I made is I believed the scientists too long, and that's what caused the crisis. I didn't get on it immediately because I believed what they told me. And the reason I'm telling that story is because Chernobyl wasn't supposed to happen, and when it did happen, we were lied to about it, as was he. And as a result, we had this massive radiation cloud over all of northern Europe. And by the way, you, you still wouldn't want to drink milk from cows that are roaming the grass at Chernobyl for a very long time, if not for a thousand years. But I, I do want to add one other thing about the Chernobyl issue, and that is, even though it wasn't supposed to happen, it did. There's not Diablo Canyon is sitting in, literally in a triangle of three separate fault lines, and that's significant because whenever a fault line crosses another fault line, it increases the potential magnitude of the earthquake you'll get. They didn't even bother to find two of those fault lines before they put uh, Diablo Canyon in there. Now that they know they exist, it is absolutely irresponsible, unethical. I cannot believe they'll let it go, and that one inspector had the courage to say in 2011 this thing is not safe close it i think is really refreshing but as i recall jerry he was overruled in washington yeah in other words his um regional director at the nrc uh negated his report disagreed with it he continued to uh state his opinion and it was overruled and pg&e tried to get a license amendment to get around this now in the advent of fukushima the re, the earthquake susceptibility at all reactors in the country are being reevaluated towards 2015 obviously diablo canyon is most at risk uh kern county had a 7.5 earthquake back not so far ago in 1952 it had a four foot movement of the earth um I don't think we want to see that at Diablo Canyon. And the good news is nuclear power is not necessary to provide energy in California. Okay. I want to do another Diablo Canyon thing, and then we'll go to, the, go to that. I know you're going to Cal-ISO. I want people to know that the, that the tsunami which crashed Fukushima, similar tsunamis have hit all over the shoreline where that nuclear power plant sits. Absolutely. Three separate times. Now, if you know a tsunami can take you out, by the way, they've made no adaptation yet at Diablo Canyon for what happened to Fukushima. Three years later, Fukushima is still going off, creating radioactive isotopes. The reaction is still occurring. It's still putting all that into the ocean and the air. Now, with that all happening, you would think the people at PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, would go, whoa, we got a huge liability problem here. We better be careful. The reason they don't, is because the federal government has said, no matter what happens, we won't let you go broke. So PG&E, its normal marketplace incentive to do the right thing, is gone. Exactly. And this and is one the of the things that is so wrong about the subsidies for the nuclear industry. There's something called the Price-Anderson Act that was first authorized in 1957 and reauthorized not so long ago. In its reauthorization it caps the liability per accident at 12.6 billion dollars fukushima already is over a hundred billion dollars in other words no one would insure these nuclear plants and no utility would run it without liability insurance in case there was a chernobyl or in case there was a fukushima or a three mile island so they're driving – imagine driving a car around California at high speed, and you have no insurance. 
This is what they're doing with this. Uh, it's no, over- no, no, they're, no, they're, they're driving around with no insurance, knowing that the public will pay the bill, and they don't really care. But, you know, I, it, that raises uh, two other examples I want to connect for people here, to connect the dots. You know, the tobacco industry told us over and over and over again for decades that smoking cigarettes was safe. They even had commercials with doctors telling you to smoke lucky strikes. And it turns out, and we all knew that was a, a lie long ago, but we kept buying the lie because all the money was being dumped to misinform people by the cigarette companies, the tobacco companies. And then we come up to find out that as early as 1963, they were writing internal memorandum admitting that they were killing people. But they were not held liable for that. And the nuclear industry has an even better way to get away with it than the, than the cigarette companies did. So in the absence of liability, the normal corrective measure in the marketplace, the marketplace doesn't work. And cigarettes is the classic example. There's one other example I want to give. The same thing has happened with climate change. So the climate deniers funded by fossil fuel companies continue to sell and profit from what they know is causing the planet to burn up. And those 1,000 dead people are more in India today. Those people that drowned in Alberta, Canada, uh, earlier in the week. Uh, the, the environmental refugees all over the planet. They're left hopeless because the earth is baking, as the president pointed out yesterday, wiping his brow numerous times. They're left baking and dying because the fossil fuel companies refuse to do anything responsible with their sources of energy, and they'd rather continue making profits at the cost of human society than earn profits legitimately by providing energy which is safe and sustainable. That, to me, is an indictment of the energy industry, fossil fuels, and I would say it's even a bigger indictment of nuclear, where they know it kills people. They know so, it. So, Jerry and Ronaldo, while we're on this topic, you know, there's a lot of uh, a, a lot to be said about the dangers of both nuclear power and fossil fuel industry lying to us. Let's talk about what the project's going to do to rectify that, how we're taking the nuclear power industry on, and spe- especially important, how people who are listening can join with us. And, well, and you can start, all, start, Jerry, with the CalISO report, because I, I cut you off a couple times. Just tell people what that says, which basically we right. don't need those, those were important points that you made, and I appreciate it. Uh, basically, the... Um, Independent system operator of California, which runs the electrical, manages the electrical supply system, in their transmission report for 2012-13, they said, if we removed Diablo Canyon, it would have no significant impact on electrical supply in California. San Onofre was gone and has been gone and is now permanently gone since January 2012. We went through the summer of, Gen- of, of 2012. There was no disruption in electrical supplies. And basically the reason is, is that California has enough excess power. You're supposed to have 15% excess. California has more than 30% excess, even without nuclear power. So these, are not, these plants are not essential to electrical supply in California and by moving away for them, from them, we will accelerate the process whereby California reaches 30% renewable energy by 2020, the most aggressive renewable energy plan in the country. And California is well on track to reaching those goals. And, and so in fact, the, the, the cost of operating nuclear is one of the financial impediments that's keeping us from getting to it. If we took the same money we're blowing fostering nuclear, 
and put it into renewables, we would ex- we would accelerate dramatically in the conversion over to renewables just using the money we're already spending. Matt, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, so these are all very important points, and the fact that we don't need this toxic form of power is is essential to the argument that we're making at the Safe Energy Project. Uh, I want to just encourage our listeners again to visit the website safeenergyproject.org to sign up with us so that they can stay on top of what the project is doing and receive call to action uh, when we when we have uh, the need for them to you know call their legislators, call the NRC, wh- whatever it is we're going to direct them to do. Um, I think that this is a very important process to have more people involved in and to have them paying attention to. Exactly. And so people can learn about um, what we're doing to stop the cost of San Onofre from going on to the public, of what we're doing, our ongoing activities to promote renewable energy as an alternative to nuclear power. And lastly, in terms of if the NRC and the utility will not do the right thing about Diablo Canyon, a gentleman by the name of Ben Davis, who designed the voter initiative locally in Sacramento, that led to the closure of the Rancho Seco plant. He has an initiative now calling for the closure of the remaining nuclear power plants in California that was approved by the Secretary of State um, to be on the ballot should enough uh, signatures be collected in the general election of 2014. Uh, The Academy has launched an education campaign on the issues related to nuclear power and its alternatives so that people who are interested in that voting process can be aware of the issues. And that is a major statewide educational initiative of the Academy that we need lots of help with. We're willing to speak. We're willing to go on radio shows. We're willing to come to college campuses, send information. So you can also support us by being a part of our education campaign. Yeah, and let me just, I want to make something really crystal clear to every single person listening to this broadcast, anywhere in this podcast, anywhere in the world. This is not something we're doing at the World Business Academy just because of California. What we believe is that the nuclear industry globally is wounded and reeling, and we believe vulnerable to collapse. What we want to see happen, when when Germany said we're getting out of nuclear, when Siemens said as a company we're getting out of nuclear, when General Electric said we're getting out of nuclear, when everybody is dropping like flies out of nuclear and the only people left standing are the French government, basically, who can't afford nuclear because it sucks up so many billions of dollars of their budget, we want you to know that what we're doing in California is making good on that old expression, as goes California goes the rest of the country, as the country goes, goes the world. So what we think we can do here by stopping nuclear power in California, and we, we, we you know, one reactor down, San Onofre, one to go, Diablo, an initiative to try and keep it out forever. When we and we show the economic consequences of this insane form of energy, where we are all subsidizing a few nuclear companies and a few utilities, when we get this done, we believe that California will be the way shower for the rest of the country and for the rest of the world. Notice that in the president's speech, he bragged about the fact that two new nuclear power plants are going to go online back east. Both of those plants are billions of dollars each over cost, over budget. Neither one of them has gone on, even though they're years past their targeted completion dates. Neither one of them has a plan for disposal of nuclear waste materials. And neither one of them is economically viable as a separate business entity. Now, if we can make the case in California like we did with small cars way back when, so the rest of the world started following, I believe we could end nuclear power in our lifetime. In fact, I think we can end it in less than a decade. 
So what we need to do is to get together. So if you if you live in Keokuk, Iowa, or frankly, Paris, France, it's in your interest. And I pick France intentionally because 87% of their, po- their power is nuclear, and they're beginning to realize they can't afford it. If, if you live anywhere in the world, you need to be part of the Safe Energy Project. This is not just about California. This is about the world. And it's about the end of a toxic technology that no one has ever figured out how to deal with successfully because, frankly, you can't. What it does kills people, and it leaves residues for 10,000 years that will kill people as well. So we really need to get you engaged in what we think is one of the most important educational campaigns in the history of the world. Nothing ever has been as toxic to humans as nuclear power. Nothing. And it's time for us to put the genie back in the bottle. Not, not not even accounting for what Jerry said at the beginning of this interview, what what happens is the gateway drug for nuclear, it, it's the gateway drug to nuclear weapons. That's how Iran's going to get them. That's how Pakistan got them. So closing down civilian uses of nuclear, which is economically insane, which is killing people, which is dangerous, which is subject to collapse like Fukushima, Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, all of those things aside, don't you want to close off the gateway drug to nuclear weapons and nuclear proliferation? So... We need your help. We need every single person listening, and we need for you to tell the people you know who are willing to dig in and learn the facts and join our team. We need to start a mass movement that's going to bring the end of nuclear energy to the planet, period. We're waiting for you to call us (laughs) or email. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And a, a quick note for our listeners, if you want to find out more information about the Academy and the Safe Energy Project, we've given you the websites a few times. Uh, it's safeenergyproject.org and worldbusiness.org. Um, the other thing is a lot of people are starting to like us and find our information on Facebook. So if you go to Facebook and search for World Business Academy, it'll be t- you'll be taken to our page where we post information about the Academy and the Safe Energy Project. Okay. Um, uh, Jerry, you got, you got 30 seconds a minute. You want any last comments before we have to go on to the rest of the show? Yes. I mean uh... – Despite the view that the nuclear industry, that there's going to be a renaissance, the reality is that four reactors have closed this year, uh, two at San Onofre, one at Crystal River in Florida, and one by Exelon for economic reasons. And to come back to where you started, I thought it was very interesting in Obama's climate change initiative that the um, mechanisms for reducing CO2 were renewables, conservation, and increased use of natural gas. There was no mention whatsoever of nuclear energy expansion. So I think that the dynamics, even at a national uh, level, are turning in the right direction. Great. I'm glad to hear that. And I tell you, I, I know Sally Jewell personally, the new Secretary of the Interior, and I was delighted that the President alluded to the role that Interior will play in these decisions about which types of energy we will deploy going forward. I know Sally is a very bright woman. She used to be the CEO of REI, and I know she understands these complex issues. Uh, So I'm happy that he's now starting to rely on her and that she's in the cabinet. Uh, With that, thank you again, Jerry, for all the work you've done all these years, uh, starting way back when you led the great boycott for Cesar Chavez and Delano, all the way through your teaching years, the years we've written books together, the years we've spent the last two decades in the academy, uh, you're a crusader, uh, you're, you're unstoppable, you're erudite, you're thoughtful, and in the end, you will be successful. Thanks for leading the project. My pleasure. Thanks, Jerry. So now, Ronaldo, it's time for our lightning round. 
Uh, to our listeners, we're a nonprofit organization, and we give these predictions without any agenda, strictly as a public service. Uh, we're we're going to do some quick hits on asset classes, uh, including gold, bonds, commercial real estate, and we'll probably discuss inflation and consumer confidence as well. Yeah, let me start with away. inflation. Yeah, let me start with inflation, Matt, because that sort of drives the other categories. So um, usually I try to see at least 12 months out on the inflation targets just so you, people can adjust and get to where they need to be. It's getting increasingly hard to do it. It's very hard to see more than six to nine months out at most. So the, the inflation prediction I have for the balance of 2013, which is about six months, is that it will be moderate. I don't see inflation as a challenge. In fact, if anything, I see the struggling economic recovery as one of the things holding it down. So even though the Fed has announced that they're going to back off somewhat of, of quantitative easement, um, that's not a new position. They've been saying that for two years. Um, most thoughtful observers, including this program, pegged that they would start doing it around the fourth quarter of this year. That's all Bernanke said the other day. And it's quite remarkable to me that the markets have reacted, overreacted the way they have. Now, one of the reasons they overreacted is because market makers tend to make money when markets go up. They make money when markets go down. They don't make money if markets stand still. So part of the abuse of Wall Street is to seize upon people's fear, Bernanke comments, and take them out of context. Um, the, the, the inflation is not a challenge. Until it becomes a challenge, he won't be incentivized to start to really step down dramatically the bond buying, the quantitative easement, as long as the, the economy isn't growing robustly, which it currently is not. So with inflation pegged at very moderate, low for the next six months, that means that gold, which is a bubble basically, which collapsed. And if you recall, Matt, we called that on this show really when it was at its height, that it's 1600, 1650, and we said, get out of gold. We told people to get out. We were Some of our listeners wrote me emails that I responded to, lengthy write, written explanations that further explained why to get out of gold. And, of course, now gold has dropped from the 1650 level down to 1200 and change, and it's like a 25% drop. That's a lot of money if you were into gold. That was a bubble. Gold at that price was not sustainable under the current low inflation, low economic activity scenario. However... I hate to say it, there will be a time to buy gold again. And that time will happen when inflation starts to really accelerate. And since I can't see further than six to nine months out, I'm not suggesting anybody buy gold today. I hope you get out of it when I did, and I hope you stay out of it for now. Listen to the program. We'll tell you when to get back in. It's not safe to do so now. Uh, in addition, uh, consumer confidence is lower than one would expect given the housing market recovery and giving, given that the um, – the job market, if you look at college graduates, is actually becoming quite good again. The problem is that the consumer confidence can't go up dramatically when disposable income for the middle class and the lower classes continues to be flat or negative. So you've got a situation where the consumer simply can't spend enough. They don't have enough to spend. Three-quarters of the U.S. economy is consumer spending. Uh, when the U.S. government released, uh, the Bureau of Statistics released their report uh, this morning, uh, that showed that the annual rate of growth was only 1.8% instead of what they thought, which was 2.4, so quite a bit off. They cited the reason was the drop in consumer spending. They said it, it only grew at 2.6%, and that wasn't enough to make up for the cutbacks that are continuing to come from companies and from governments forced through this silly austerity program being pushed by the Republicans it, it, the consumer spending can't keep up with it. In fact, the, the Republicans are winning. It is depressing consumer spending, which means they will it will tend to depress the consumer economy. 
I think 2014 could be a decent year in the economy for a bunch of reasons I won't go into on this show. We don't have time. I am extremely concerned about 2015 and beyond, however. So my point of view would be let's keep watching consumer confidence. Let's see what the consumer spending turns out to be. Let's keep our eye on inflation. And in the meantime, we don't buy gold. Similarly, I gave a warning uh, privately, and I should have put it out as a tweet, Matt, and next time I will. I gave a warning about two weeks ago on bonds. And I told people why I was going to get out of bonds, and I gave a long explanation to a company called First Affirmative, which was sort of surprised that I'd taken such a hard line on that. And I explained, no, what's going to happen from this point out, this is two weeks ago, is that people who own bonds are going to realize that the amount of interest they're making, which isn't that high to begin with, will be evaporated, eviscerated by the drop in the price of the bond. In other words, if you pay $100 for a bond, and it pays 5% interest, which would be very high for right now, um, that bond could drop by 10% in value as interest rates go up. So even though you thought you were going to make 5% of interest, you actually lost 10% of the value of the bond. Now, why I want to explain that to people is because bonds work inverse, meaning opposite to, inflation or interest rates. So if we see inflation is probably going to pick up six, nine months out or beyond, which it will, I think, that means that people getting ready to see that happen are going to start dumping their bonds. As they dump their bonds, the price of the bond drops. Even as new bonds will come on the market with higher percentage interest rates in the future, you won't have the benefit of that with the bonds you hold today. So I'm suggesting to people, get out of bonds. Obviously, the first category of bonds to get out would probably be municipals. But I would say it's, generally speaking, bond indebtedness is is in jeopardy. Now, will it drop like a rock tomorrow morning? No. But you can expect continuing steady pressure on the bond market between now and the next six months. So for that reason, it's not an asset class I would recommend buying. And you might want to recommend, if you've already got gains, take them and put the money somewhere else. With regard to the stock market, uh, it's had a very good year, as you know. Uh, we publicly, I think it was last October, November, we said to people buy back into stocks. They did. Those people that did are up probably 15 16% at this point. Um, I don't believe the market is through its run. I don't see any dramatic upsides coming. So I'm, I'm, I'm recommending right now go into the market and buy stocks with high dividend yields and stable operations. So when you can get a 2.5%, yield on a stock, which is not hard to do, of a company that's well-run, by all means consider buying that. Take your 2 to 3% in dividends and watch the stock either stay still or appreciate. That's my goal right now for, for people who are asking me where to best put stocks. I, I, I would put very little into highly speculative investments, although there is a place for those as well in this economy at this time, but that's a subject for another day. Last but not least, commercial real estate. Uh, we've been saying for four months it would be starting to pick up about now. It has. It will continue picking up. I'm particularly looking at office buildings. I don't see uh, commercial space for uh, new retail as being a dramatic growth uh, opportunity right now. Uh, but I do see office buildings filling up in major metropolitan areas. I see the occupancy rates going up, upward pressure on prices for landlords. That's a good thing, probably. And uh, commercial real estate and perhaps REITs would be a suitable investment. Last but not least, I don't like the fact that we're pumping gas around the country. But, of course, master limited partnerships that get paid by how many BTUs they pass back and forth 
would also be a decent investment. Uh, one environmental positive note to that is those same companies building and operating those pipelines, if they built those pipelines in the last 10 or 15 years, they can all be converted to hydrogen uh, very easily. So um, they're building the infrastructure for the, the gas of the future, which is hydrogen, not natural gas. I guess that's the quick wrap-up on um, the lightning round. What do you think, Matt? Has it covered it? Yeah, that's great news about the uh, hydrogen infrastructure. I hadn't heard about that. That's excellent. Um, one thing I wanted to share with our audience is actually a, uh, a metaphor you shared with me about the state of the economy and uh, the the analogy to uh, harpooning a whale. Oh, yeah. There's a word. It's an expression, actually. It dates from the whaling period called the Nantucket sleigh ride. And what that is is when in the olden days when they would harpoon a whale, they'd actually would be the, the, the main ship with the sails wasn't how they did it. They would take get the rowboat out with like six guys in it. A harpooner would stand in the in, in, in the bow of the ship. When they saw the whale breach, the harpooner would throw the harpoon, and the harpoon would pierce the whale's uh, blubber. And at that point, they would tie the rope off to the to the boat, the little rowboat, and the whale would take off because, of course, this whale has now been you know hit. They're 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 gonna, they're gonna and they, and the whale then tries to shake but can't this this bobbing boat at the surface and they continue to ride smacking through the waves at incredible rates. Sometimes they died, by the way, doing this, but most times the, the whale lost and the humans won. And what would happen was they would keep that going till the whale was exhausted. Harpooning that whale is just like what the fuel industry is doing. They're, they're harpooning the biosphere. And they're riding it on this Nantucket sleigh, this crazy sleigh ride of high-speed destruction, which is yielding floods, forest fires, unbelievable uh, climatical destabilizations, death, destruction. All that's occurring because we're trying to harpoon the biosphere and pull it into submission. The fossil fuel industry has got to stop. They're out of control, just the way the cigarette companies were out of control. We've got to stop fossil fuel. Their concern is simply this, and I'll end it in this way, in a nutshell, Matt. Because every oil company is valued by how much oil reserves they have under the ground, if the world decides it's going to stop burning oil, all of a sudden Exxon ain't worth a fraction of what the market is paying for it. That's what's keeping it going. It's all about greed even as the planet burns. Well, Ronaldo, thank you very much for the valuable information for today's show. Uh, On behalf of the World Business Academy, I want to thank our audience for joining us. Uh, Please come to our website. It's www.worldbusiness.org. Connect with us in between shows, and make sure and tune in next month for the next episode of New Business Paradigms. And and one last request, Matt, which is please send us those questions ahead of time. When we do get them in advance of the show, which we got a few, uh, it makes it so much easier to answer them on the air because then I know where the audience is where are they where, where are they concerned about? I'll give you one example. A major decision was happened today in Europe, where they've got a proposed solution to the banking crisis, which has been dragging the euro down. It's not a complete solution, frankly, but it's a big step in the right direction. Most people listening to this show would never even know that happened or what significance to put to it. What we want to do with this show is we want to keep finding that information, some of which is very arcane, bring it to you, put it into context, and show you how you can shape it to protect yourself financially and your family, and how you can actually use it to protect yourself from other discontinuities, which are going to happen socially. So please, we're here to help and serve you. That's our, that's our passion and our joy. Send us your questions and we can serve you better. And keep listening to the show, because these times that we are in, they are a-changing. Yes, and send those questions to info at worldbusiness.org. Thanks to everyone listening, and thank you, Ronaldo. Thank you, Matt. Bye now.